Season 3, Episode 10 of the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. So, we have come to the last episode of Season 3, and what a season it's been. I just want to take this opportunity to thank every guest that made the time to be on an episode. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge. I also want to thank everyone that takes the time to listen to the podcast. I'm humbled by the support that we have received over the past few years. Last week, we looked at the all-important topic of playback in the field as well as bird ethics. This week, we're going to look at the opposite side of the coin and look at the recording of bird calls. I'm joined by a special guest, Rick Nuttall. Rick is an experienced birder that has been recording bird calls for many years. He tells us all about how we can get started with the recording of calls and lets us know how it will add value to our birding journey. Please take some time to visit our online store. We sell optics, books, art and more, all to help you as a birder. If you need further assistance about products or anything else around the birding life, drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com and we will get back to you. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Sorovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser Bird Logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously where to find amazing birds. Check out our website at www.thebirdinglife.com, our YouTube channel, our various social media platforms, as well as the other podcasts we host. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to help others find the show. So let us get into this week's episode of the Birding Life Podcast. Hey, Rick, I want to welcome you to the Birding Life Podcast. Um, like a lot of my guests, I've been chatting a long time about getting you on the show. And after about a year, maybe a year and more, we finally got you on the show. It's good to have a chat to you. Oh, it's fantastic to uh, be chatting with you, Adam. Thanks very much for the invitation. And um, yeah, it's 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 great to be on this platform. Yeah, I managed to squeeze you in between a, a whole lot of different trips you're on. I don't know if you're able to share a little bit about some of the stuff that you're involved in at the moment. Yeah, I uh, I'm the main thing that I'm busy with right now is is uh, doing avifaunal surveys and monitoring on proposed wind and solar energy sites down in the Karoo. There's, uh, there's a lot going on and provides a wonderful opportunity to get to know these areas intimately from a perspective mainly of their birds, but also just the ecology of these areas. And uh, yeah, it's been fascinating. I've just returned from two weeks down between Aberdeen and Beaufort West in the Karoo, uh, an area that's uh, coming off a eight-year long drought, very severe drought, but they've had wonderful rains since December. And it's been absolutely tr tremendous to see the changes in the environment from terrible drought conditions to you know what, how things recover after some some really good rain and lots of locusts are down there at the moment swarms and swarms of them so just fascinating to to be part of that and then the other things that i uh, other thing that i'm i'm doing is uh, leading tours leading birding and general nature tours and uh, yeah i'm about to head off down again into the Karoo for short three night tours, uh, two of them back-to-back -back on a wonderful place uh, called the Khoisan Karoo Conservancy between Colesburg uh, and uh, Hanover, a lovely spot for an overall Karoo experience. 
So yeah, that's what's keeping me busy at the moment. So if anyone has a chat to you, they will learn that you've got this amazing understanding of birds and bird life. How did this passion and this love for birds start at the beginning? Adam, it goes back a long time. I think that my first uh, recollection that I have of noticing a bird was probably when I was four or five years old. I grew up in Grahamstown in the Eastern Cape, and we had a Cape honeysuckle hedge, a lovely big Cape honeysuckle hedge around our property. And, uh, you know, these, uh, these plants flower copiously and produce nectar. And, um, I think that the first bird that I ever remember was a male greater double collared sunbird, uh, hovering in front of one of these flowers sipping nectar. So that goes back to, uh, my early childhood. I was then very fortunate at, um, at the primary school to, have uh, a wonderful teacher. He was the, uh, the the deputy principal, and he was a very very keen birder, bird watcher. He would probably call himself. And yeah, he he nurtured the um, the interest that I had in birds from from a very young age. And uh, yeah, he encouraged me to join the local bird club, which is the Dyes Cross Bird Club. And uh, yeah, I must be one of the longest serving members. I'm still a member. <laughs> so it goes back to my childhood, and I, yeah, the passion I think ignited from a very at a very early age, and uh, it just you know has has continued through uh, through school, through university, through my university studies. I studied zoology and botany, but whenever there was a research project, it was birds, birds, birds. And then uh, after um, after school, I did a stint of military service, but that also involved birds. I uh, was part of a a section called Environmental Services, and spent yeah more than half of my my national service visiting military areas and doing bird surveys and assisting the uh, wildlife management guys doing management plans for these for the natural areas that that, that the military owned. And yeah, then moved up to Bloemfontein, took up a job as ornithologist at the National Museum here in Bloemfontein, where I'm still living. And I was in research, in that research position, looking after the collections for 10 years and then moved into management. And um, yeah, uh, continued with showing people, taking people birding over weekends and things like that. But I've always been involved in, in birding circles, bird, the bird club structures, BirdLife South Africa, and it's uh, formerly the Southern, Southern African Ornithological Society. And yeah, um, now it's sort of come full circle where I'm, my work is my passion and uh, birds are a, are a key part of that. So just love sharing knowledge and the experience of birds with, with other people. Really love it. So you mentioned that you are based in the Free State. Now, when you ask people about, we ask people to recommend birding places in South Africa, often they'll speak about KZN, which is where I stay, or the Cape, or possibly Limpopo, and they speak about all these fantastic birding destinations, but one place that I don't hear a lot of people speak about is Free State. What is the birding like in the Free State? Oh, it's, it's uh, you know, it, 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 it doesn't compare with the, uh, with the mega biodiverse areas, um, you know, more, more moist areas uh, in the north and west uh, and east of the country. Um, or, you know, with the, with the special areas that you get down in the Fainbos with its uh, associated bird life. But there are close to 400 species of birds recorded in the, in the free state. And, um, you know, it goes from the semi-arid and Karoo areas in the, in the west and southwest across these swathes of grassland in the central areas. And right across to montane grassland in the in the east, and uh, then up on the major river systems, the Vaal River system, particularly up in the in the on the northern extremities of the 
province, you know, you get a lot of uh, riverine bush and, and, and thicker bush. So all of those uh, varied habitats, you know, lead to, you know, a varied uh, diversity of bird life. And um, there's some pretty special birds. Uh, you know, we get the montane grassland specials such as Rudd's Lark, Yellow-Breasted Pippet, and Boerter's Lark up in the northeast around Memel and, and the Farcakers called Harry Smith, Freda areas. You know, you, you've got Golden Gate, which is a spectacular place to visit, sandstone cliffs and, and these basalt caps to the mountains, beautiful river valleys, grassland, with some very special birds there as well, southern bald ibis, bearded vulture, cape vulture, black harrier, grey wing franklin, bush black cap, barrett's warbler, you know, many, many special birds. And then, of course, you've got the, um, you've got the open areas, the grasslands, which abound with Many different lark species, pipits, sticklers. One of our spots close by, uh, Sudoring Nature Reserve, it's become famous in the last two summers for the presence of a Madagascan cuckoo, um, arguably one of the easiest Madagascan cuckoos to see in recent times. And yeah, I think people who've come to see the Madagascan cuckoo have been pretty much blown away by the diversity of LBJs that you get in this area. Melodious lark is a regular bird in summer, and to have them displaying together with eastern clapper larks, large-billed larks, sabota, rufus-naped, you name it. They're all there, spike-heeled. And, uh, yeah, and then a number of the larger impoundments, the water bodies, um, have got good water birds. We get you know larger rafts of uh, South African shell duck at times, some interesting uh, vagrants. We've had buff-breasted sandpiper. We, as other many other parts of the country at the moment, are enjoying you know, fairly good numbers of dwarf bittern and African crake and lesser moorhen and, and things like that. We get good sightings of the uh, the rarer harriers, paleoctic harriers, pallid and uh, Montague's harrier. Also very good sightings of lovely flocks of uh, black-winged pratincoles, which is a real spectacle. Yeah, lesser kestrel roosts, there, there are a number of them, amafalcon roosts. Um, so those are the, the, the open grassland areas. And then... Further west, we've got a patch of uh, an area where the Kalahari thornfelt, the camel thorn felt, uh, sneaks into the western free state. So you can expect to see those camel thorn Kalahari specials such as sociable weavers. Uh, you get the odd pygmy falcon, but things like red-crested Koran, crimson-breasted shrike, violet-eared, black-faced waxbills. The, uh, the list goes on and on. And then we get some, you know, the Karoo influenced on particularly in the, the southwestern free state and uh, very special endemics such as Rufus Head Warbler, Fairy Flycatcher, Layard's Warbler, Namakwa Sandgrass. So there's a lot. And uh, uh, as I say, it's, you know, the, if you had to add up the, the species, it comes close to 400. And I think people are, will be quite surprised to, to hear that uh, it's possible to get those kind of numbers in the province. I'm part of a team that uh, does birding big day centered around Bloemfontein in the central free state and our target is 200 species which is probably equivalent to you know 300 plus up in the uh, more diverse biodiverse areas and yeah you know, we've managed to to crack the 200 on a, on a, on a few occasions but it's a it's a huge challenge it really is but that's not impossible to see you know 200 species of birds in a in a day in the central free state. So yeah, I think many people just want to, you know, finish the journey, get through the free state. If they're traveling down the N3 to KZN from Gauteng or heading down to the Cape, they just want to get through the uh, the endless open areas, sometimes lots of mealy fields, but generally open grassland. But I really, really enjoy it. And spending 
time out in uh, you know moist grassland after good summer rains with all the grassland birds displaying and singing and calling it's a very very special time indeed so you spoke about the fact that you've been birding for many years um, obviously over the time that you've been a birder there have been many people that have influenced you who are some of these people that have influenced your journey and what are some lessons that you learn from them Adam I think that I've already referred to chap at, at primary school the um, deputy principal yeah, my my love for for bird sounds and nat- natural you know nature sounds I think uh, stems from from his influence in my life and I'm I'm forever grateful for that and I think one of the best lessons that he taught me was that if you if you hear a bird that you you, you don't recognise go and find it and uh, and get visuals of it you know because the association of trying to find this little bird or bigger bird that's making the sound that just reinforces the whole experience. And once you do find it, the chance of those sounds sticking in your memory bank are that much, are that much better. Yeah, I think, you know, he was key. Uh, that was uh, Lorraine Mullins. And uh, at university, I uh, was supervised by uh, Professor Gordon McLean. And, you know, we became friends through my student years. And he was also a very important influence, I think, more on the, on the research side and on the scientific side. One of the things that, uh, you know, that I'm forever grateful to Gordon for was, you know, teaching me the, uh, the ins and outs of scientific writing, which has stood me in good stead in my, uh, in my career. And yeah, there have been many, I think many friends, um, who I just spent time with, quality time in the field with, and you just, you know, sort of feed off one another's, uh, knowledge and passion and, and friendship in, uh, sharing those experiences. So, um, yeah, uh, there, there are many others who, would probably, uh, you know, who, who I could probably mention, but uh, probably too many to mention. So, Rick, you, you know, you spoke about this this guy when you were in school, but, you know, you'd probably be on the side, the, the mental side of things now. You know, if you were to sit with the younger birder and starting this journey off and, you know, taking all this stuff that you've gained from these people and gained from your own journey, what would be one piece of advice that you would give them? I think uh, just be inquisitive. You know, have an inquiring mind, and it goes back to that thing of if you hear something you don't you don't know what it is, go and look for it. Be observant. Um, be always observant. Be always looking for the opportunity to expand your knowledge, expand your horizons. Uh, the other thing, uh, and I think we'll we'll get onto talking about that, is, is is my absolute passion for sound. Yeah, I think that uh, another very very good piece of advice um, that I would give: take time to listen. Just be quiet and listen. Let uh, you know. Let your environment speak to you in that sense. And it's so much more than just learning the birds and 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 appreciating the birds around you. It's uh, it's a lot more than that. Um, yeah, but don't just be uh, you know uh, happy with with where you're at. Always look to to expand your horizons and and yeah, if you can share that knowledge with other people. It's there. It's it's for free. It's uh, it's there to be appreciated and, and shared. So if you could gift a birder with any book, what would it be and why? Oh, this is a, this is a very difficult question. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that a good field guide is a, is, is a wonderful thing to have as a birder. And I think that as South Africans, we are very fortunate to have the most amazing field guide resources. One of my favorites, uh, I mean, I started the first field guide uh, proper that I had was the first edition Newman's 
Birds of uh, Southern Africa from 1983, and I used that, you know, when I was growing as a birder. But um, I I really enjoy the uh, the Roberts Field Guide. I think that it's uh, it, uh, it contains a lot of good information. I like the illustrations, and yeah, that's probably the the the, the gift that I would would give to a to a birder would be Roberts Field Guide. So one thing uh, why I want, why I'm excited to chat to you. About today is we have a lot of people who message us about asking questions around the recording of bird calls and we had Lynette Rudman who also spoke about this a little bit but we'll get a little bit deeper into it today. Before we look at the how, what equipment would one need to record birds? That's that's a you know that's a good question and I think that um, it's you know they're you know a host of possible answers. These days I think with uh, you know with smartphones uh, being the norm pretty much I think that they, you know, they, they have a very good ability to record sound and you could just use, uh, you know, the built in microphone of a, uh, of, of, of a smartphone. I think that that, that would work really well. If you're wanting to get, you know, closer or get more, you know, better recordings, you know, it's, it's like having a camera and just having to decide what lens to get. I think that, you know, if you can, if you can get the best possible, um, uh, microphone that, uh, you know that you can afford. It's like uh, you know getting the best possible lens that you can afford for a, for a camera. The microphone is is essentially what it's all about in terms of getting better quality sound. There are a number of uh, microphones out there in the market. One of the one of the better ones, but it's also quite you know it gets a bit pricey. Is one of the, the shorter handheld uh, shotgun microphones uh, made by Sennheiser. But I mean, if if, if people are really keen on uh, on recording sounds. Saving up for a for a Sennheiser mic it would actually be a, a very good idea. There are also some very very good digital recorders out there, and I have used a Zoom H1N recorder previously, and other friends who have got them. And you can use its built-in mic; it works well for sort of as as an entry level recorder. I recently purchased a Zoom H2N. That I use with a, a, a set of stereo microphones to record soundscapes, and those are essentially uh, just the, a recording of the ambient sounds in, a, in, an, in, in any environment. Um, I also, you know, you can. There's any number of digital recorders out there. You need to look at being able to put extra, you know, um, storage into the device. So, you know. Having a place for uh, you know an, an extra micro SD card. Some of these take up to a 32 gig micro SD card, and uh, the the files that you're recording are not really that that big. So um, it's always good to to have extra storage, and of course make sure that your batteries are always charged. You don't want to be left short when you've got an opportunity to get some really nice sounds in a in a nice place. And, and you run out of batteries. So that's another thing. You know, what we could do is um, I could possibly, you know, send through a list that you could maybe, you know, publish on the Birding Life on your website or something like that. That might be a, a good idea. I don't know, you know, all the equipment because, uh, you know, I've had the equipment that I use for, for quite a while. I started with a, a little shotgun mic that I got when I was a student. I don't think you can get them anymore. It was a Ewer a tech to you a 93b or something like that but little directional mic and i just used a little battery operated cassette recorder for many years before moving on to digital uh, recording devices 
but there's there yeah there's a there's a lot out there one of the biggest hassles that one has with recording sound is the background hiss and interference and uh you know so i think the microphone and the cables that you're using are are important when trying to get rid of any of that extraneous noise that uh, that might be out there yeah there's all a zoom h1n microphones they're quite i mean that i've been using those in the you know, it's just we'll chat about doing soundscapes now but doing a couple of soundscapes with some places i go to and those go for you know about two thousand rand so they're not not crazy expensive I, I follow a number of people, you know, um, sound recordists uh, in various parts of the world and on, on Facebook and, and, and Instagram. And a number of these guys, you know, they, they use the Zoom H, H1N as, you know, as one of their go-to devices and uh, you know, as a recorder, but it's also got stereo microphones, built-in stereo microphones. And another important thing is that you must have a, a, a windsock of sorts, so a windshield to... Um, to prevent the that buff that buffing buffering sound uh, buffeting sound of wind on the microphones, you know these microphones are very very sensitive. And the most basic one that you could use would be a, a sock. You just put a sock over it. And I know other sound recorders who actually that's what they use. So it's not called a wind sock for nothing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you need to you, you, unless you've got perfectly still conditions with no wind, which is very rare. Uh, you need to have some kind of cover that just dampens the effect of the of, of any wind on the microphone so now you've got the equipment um how does one go about recording calls in the field what techniques would one use out on the field to enhance the quality of the calls i think one of the most important things is you know using field skills and techniques you need to try and get as close as you possibly can to a calling bird if it's a particular bird that you're after you know you hear it calling move in that direction stealthily, quietly. And you know, what I would tend to do is I tend to do a recording, you know, if, if it's something that, that is really nice and clear, I'll get a recording. It's a little bit like taking that record shot with your camera. As you get closer, you, you get better, better shots. So uh, similarly with a, with a sound, um, you know, with sound recording, you know, you, you don't want to just go in there and, try and and then get too close and the bird flies away or stops calling. So try and capture as you move in. And the nice thing is, with particularly with digital devices, is that you can edit very easily. And um, I'm sure we'll, we'll chat a little bit about that as well. But, yeah, try and get as close to the calling bird. Um, yeah, watch out for, for, for any movements of your, of your hand fingers on the recording device if you're hand holding it. Um, you can put it on a, like a little selfie stick or a, or a monopod or a tripod to try and avoid any kind of interference, sound interference from handling noise. And yeah, be careful about, uh, you know, you need to be careful about making a noise by breathing too loudly or stepping on twigs or, or brushing against uh, vegetation. The clothes that you wear, if you are, if you know you're going to do some recording or, you know, you, you have a recording device that you take with you when you're out birding, Try not to wear, you know, like a jacket or, or anything that's that's going to make a rustling sound against vegetation or when you move, because that'll be amplified. That sound will be amplified by the microphone. Um, so your movements need to be, you know, gentle and 
as silent as possible, as quiet as possible. Yeah, and then also very important just to, you know, be aware of, you know, the kind of information that, that is important that you go with the recording. So, you know, it's worth just after, after a recording, just speaking into your device and saying, you know, things like date, where you are, what's, what bird it is, if you know what it is, you know, just briefly the conditions and possibly also your recording setup, your device, your microphone, if you've got. So all that information can can be important later on if uh, those recordings are going to be used for anything. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, sound recording is, is is pure enjoyment. I just I just love doing it. I love capturing sounds and and then being able to listen to them afterwards. Yeah, something I've something I've done, and I'm not no expert in the in doing recording the field, but I, I don't know if this is something that you do also. Uh, maybe you've got another tip you do, but uh, when I get out there and I, you know, I arrive at the place, I normally take a pair of earphones with me. So I normally, you know, do the, rec- you know, try and just listen through the earphones, hear what the recording sounds. I get the get the audio level right, and then try to record something to check to check the audio levels right. Because I think there's nothing worse than getting all the way home. I did it uh, a week ago. <laughs> Went out, left it there for 45 minutes, came back, and there was absolutely nothing recorded. So I've kind of learned the lesson now about actually trying to just check the sound before to make sure there is sound coming in and, and it is recording at the right level. That's that's critically important. And sorry that I that I omitted to mention that. Uh, very, very important, as is checking that your equipment is working properly. I've done that where, you know, I've, I've done exactly that. And there's been just maybe a a connection issue with uh, with one of the cables that I'm using from the microphone to the recorder, and I haven't listened first, and I've just put the re- put it on record, and uh, exactly the, as you mentioned, coming back and either they're dis- it's distorted or there's nothing. So yeah, very very important to to listen to the recording, you know, just as a test before you do the you know set it out to record. And another thing very important folks is you know the interference from from cell phones you won't know it's happening but i've had a number of very nice recordings absolutely destroyed because of the gg you know from a from a cell a whatsapp arriving on the, my cell phone which is in my pocket the cell phone's on silent but you actually need to leave it behind somewhere or turn it off completely because it will interfere with um, the static will will interfere with your recording and you can you can destroy a very very nice recording through doing that so yes but have have a pair of headphones handy always listen to it set your recording levels appropriately adam that's 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 very sound advice (laughs) very good advice So yeah, you know, the one thing you spoke about earlier, which drives me nuts when I get back home, and I'm going to ask you to help me here, and hopefully help the other listeners also, is when I get home and I put it into Audacity, and there's that hiss, and I think it's a lot like photo, like when you take photos and you come home and you've got it loaded into to Lightroom or to Photoshop to do a bit of editing first, you know, when you get back home, the sound's not perfect. There's hiss, there's a little bit of hissing often in the background. You know, what do you do to clean the the sound up and to enhance the 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 recording what sort of what tips could you give us when we get home it's it's very difficult to do you know um you really that background hiss is the result of any number of things but the lower end recording devices uh if you're using the internal microphones you know you will it's just because it's not your top quality um you know microphones and recording devices i you know i've got fairly you know, fairly good recording devices, and um, I still have a bit of that background stuff. And I think that 
as you increase your gain, so the, the input volume, you're increasing the general noise, uh, you know, of the recording as well. So you need to know, you know, what is a sort of optimal gain level or recording level to use for your particular device that is, you know, is, is still acceptable. You can still hear the sounds well, but you have the minimum background hiss. So that's the one thing. But I know a lot of uh, recording devices, for you to be able to hear the recording, you need to increase the gain, you know, quite quite a lot. So you're going to have that hiss. Uh, unfortunately, in, in using editing software like Audacity, the, the hiss is more sort of overall background and it covers a fairly wide frequency range. So using filtering to remove that, you're actually going to remove a lot of the essence of your of your sound. So you can distort the, the final sound even with limited you know editing out of that of that background hiss. And that's more the low pass filter that you can use. So you could play around with it and set your filtering uh, using low pass filter you know, at it's at a higher frequency, so that's above the main frequencies of your bird calls, and just play around with that, removing six decibels, twelve decibels, um, twenty-four, whatever you can, as long as you're not interfering with the actual uh, frequency range of your of your bird calls, you know, the actual vocalizations, because those are the most important. What you can do, however, not so much the hiss, but you can remove low frequency sounds quite quite well using the high pass filter. And uh, there you can, you know, you can select up to probably around about a thousand hertz frequency and remove most of those sounds. And that would be, you know, the distant hum of traffic or, you know, the, the noise of traffic or maybe a, an airplane, a distant airplane flying over or something like that. So I generally try and, and uh, not to filter my um, or, or modify my, my recordings in, in post-processing. Just because it affects the the quality of the sound and the yeah, there's nothing worse than a than a sound that's missing, you know, key components because it's been filtered too much, or you know, noise reduction. I never use noise reduction at all. So sorry, I can't really answer that because I think, you know, you can get some really high tech software uh, that takes a lot of time and you can actually you know remove the uh, that that hiss, but not the, you know, not the kind of software like Audacity that won't allow you to do that. So I've just started doing recording bird, bird calls and the sounds in the field. We'll talk a little bit, again, we'll talk a little in a moment about soundscapes. As a photographer over the years, it's been fantastic to be able to get home and to, you know, as you edit those photos and you look at the photos you've taken, you can go and look at finer plumage details and ID features that you might have even missed on the field. I can imagine it's the same for when you record bird sounds and when you come back home and you go through the the process and you've edited it you listen back to it and you listen back to what you've recorded i can imagine there's a whole lot of things that you learn that you might not have learned if you didn't record the, the sounds or you're know, out in the field what are some ways that you feel that recording birds has enhanced your journey as a birder and your understanding of birds yeah i think that um I'm just going to come back briefly to to recording device and the microphone. You can get a a, a parabolic uh, reflector, and you position your microphone at the at the correct point in the middle of that parabolic reflector. And so, like a uh, the the light beam of a headlight in a car, 
where the beam is situated, uh, the the bulb is situated in a in a in a central position, and the light coming from that is is then you know reflected off that parabolic shape of of the headlight, and and you get a focused beam. Similarly, a a, a parabolic microphone reflector captures the sound coming in and focuses it on a single point. So you're getting good amplification, even better amplification than you than you would with the just a you know a, 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 a well a, a shotgun microphone or just a standard microphone so amplification of of sound using a parabolic mic is one of the things to do and you know you can get parabolic mics you know that will set you back three and a half thousand rand or something but the quality of the recording and the amplification that you're getting is really really worth it so that i think is has been key for me in being able to capture the finer nuances of, of sounds out there. Being able to amplify the, the sounds that you're hearing, that is the, the first step in actually you know, adding value to, uh, to, to your birding through, through sound recording. But I think for me, it's more a case of just, uh, I mean, I, I can't really, I, I find it difficult to relate to birds without the sound. If you think of you going out bird watching and you're not familiar with the sounds around you, it'll just be noise. There might be some nice sounds, some not so nice sounds, and you know they're coming from birds, but you don't know which birds or, or what they mean or, or context or anything like that. So what are you doing? You, you're looking for movement in trees and the grass and bushes to help you direct your focus uh, of, of attention to then lift your binoculars or scope or whatever camera to, 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 to get a good view of a bird. Sound, you know, you can even do it with your eyes closed. If you are aware of sound around you, even if you don't know, you know, what birds are making those sounds, you can pinpoint where a sound's coming from pretty much. And then you know, okay, I must look in that direction where that sound's coming from. So, I mean, I'm, often when I'm out with groups and I say to them, let's just be quiet and let's just listen. And, um, you know, then, then you start looking based on where the birds are calling from. So for me, I think that an interest in sound and a, a awareness of sound has just made my whole birding experience far more inclusive and, and, and wholesome in a sense. And it just adds a, a dimension that, that I, I, I simply you know, I find it difficult to relate to the lack of a, you know, lack of sound. I think I've, you know, grown up ever since I was a, a small boy, being being aware of the sounds that birds make and being aware of the importance of of helping that, uh, of using that to help with uh, with my birding. So yeah, I, I think that it's just it just it creates a, 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 a more holistic experience, birding experience. And picking up on, on smaller details, once you start focusing on sound and you then link it to what birds are doing and it gives you context. So, for example, I mean, during my studies at university, I, I, I worked on quail finch and I discovered that, you know, males and females give different gender specific contact calls. And then when I was out in the field, I was actually referring to this a couple of days ago with, with somebody I was telling, telling them about this is, you know, you, you, you hear a quail finch giving its flight calls flying over. And all of a sudden it gets over this patch of grassland, grassy area, and it changes its calls to this gender specific loud contact call. 
and then you get a response from another quail finch in the grass, and it's actually a female that has approached. She's given her female contact call, and the male has responded, probably her mate, um, with the male contact call, and then she circles and lands near to where that male's calling from. You can't see the birds, but um, you so you learn the context of uh, of these different vocalizations. And uh, another example that I use often is when you're doing forest birding, where Neisner turacos um, in particular occur. A Neisner turaco will give a very specific call just before it flies. I think most birders will 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 know that um, seeing a turaco in flight with its those amazing dark crimson purplish uh, wing feathers is one of you know one of the spectacles of uh, of the birding world and seeing those flashes of color and if you can you know can anticipate that happening and saying listen that there's going to be a taraka it's going to fly over this this gap between the forest trees because you're hearing the call that just adds so much more to the experience if you didn't know what that call was there's a good chance that you might actually miss seeing that spectacle so yeah, I think that it, it it adds tremendously to you know to birding in general. So one of the things that from our discussion, the discussion I had with you, which really grabbed me, and I've been trying it is soundscapes. Um, it's really been fascinating and interesting to see what shows up when I'm not there. So for the sake of those who were not part of that conversation, can you tell our listeners a little bit what, about what soundscapes are and how you go about recording them? A soundscape, uh, like a landscape. I mean, a landscape is, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, a, a, a wider area or a larger area. A soundscape is essentially the sound environment. So when you are in any particular place, it's all of the sounds being produced by whatever in that environment. Many people who, who, you know, who are interested in, in, in sound recording and recording soundscapes will be focused on the natural soundscape. So there must be no, you know, wind, no, uh, no, nothing to interfere with the sort of more natural sounds, the birds, the frogs, the, you know, the crickets, the cicadas, whatever it is that the mammals, uh, whatever it is that you're wanting to record. But essentially, you know, my interest in, 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 in soundscapes and recording soundscapes comes from just being out there and wanting to capture the essence of uh, the place, uh, the, the, the sounds of the place where you happen to be. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I've been doing, you know, the, the survey and monitoring work in, in, in the Karoo. And during those, uh, we, yeah, we, we, we did our first uh, surveys in September last year, at the, at the height of the drought. And, you know, apart from the sound of the, of the, of the wind blowing in the, the very dry, thorn trees and little karoo bushes. There was no grass to speak of. Apart from that, that sound, there was very little other uh, sound. And I did a, a, a lengthy recording of just that. I wanted to capture the essence of the tranquility of that particular place. And so I've got a, I think it's like a two and a half hour recording of the wind blowing fairly gently at times, but then gusting at times. And the sound of the wind blowing through these, uh, you know, these dry trees, uh, branches of the tree, through these bushes. There was a pair of Karoo scrub robins in the in the area where I'd set up my my microphone. Every now and then, you had the odd little chirp and uh, and that uh, typical sort of uh, alarm calling of of the Karoo scrub robin birds. There was a Namakwa sandgrass that flew past, you know, once. There were um, Karoo Korans calling in the distance once or twice 
and a uh, ring-necked dove, a cat turtle dove, you know, cooing away in the distance just once. But in that entire time period, the sound was just the natural soundscape. And um, you know, as uh, you know, as I've said to people, wind is an integral part of a soundscape. You just mustn't allow it to distort your otherwise natural sound. So, hence the importance for these wind socks having covers that um, you, you don't get that horrible buffeting sound of wind against the microphone. So, a soundscape is the general sound atmosphere, the ambient, the ambient sound of any particular place at any particular time you could have a you know in a suburban area you, you could have a soundscape a suburban soundscape which would include dogs barking kids shouting laughing cars driving up and down you know that that sort of thing so but the the nice thing about soundscapes too is that you should also get the odd really nice individual recordings of you know, of a particular species of bird or a few species of birds. And you can then extract those later on if you want to through the editing process. Yeah, so soundscapes obviously give us a lot bigger picture. But now we've spoken early on about, you know, individual bird calls. We've spoken about soundscapes. Now the challenge is when you get back and you've got a photograph of a bird, you can look at the bird and identify the bird. But a challenge that I personally have, and I know a lot of other birders have, is the challenge of bird calls. What would you say to listeners who are listening that would like to go out and record, but maybe the thing that's intimidating them is the fact that they struggle with bird calls? You know, what advice would you give to birders to improve in the area of learning and and remembering bird calls? Yeah, that's a that's, that's a very valid question, and I think it's something that that that, that many people grapple with, and. I think, uh, you know, the advice that I could give is start local, get to know, familiarize yourself with the birds in your local patch, in your garden, in your little, your local reserve. Repetition is important. So you need to be hearing these birds regularly, frequently, and being able to associate the sound with a particular bird. So you, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult trying to identify something. Uh, if you if you if you can't see what it is that's making that sound, some people will say, "Oh, you know, there there are bird calls available on Zena Canto on the internet. You know, any 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 number of places where you could you could download or listen to recordings of of birds. Uh, that is a way that you can familiarize yourself with with birds and you know pick different groups of birds, but particularly those that you're going to be encountering on a regular basis. So start local. I think that's the first thing. And then, yeah, try try and, and recognize the Cape Robin chats singing and calling in your garden, the southern mast weavers, the black-collared barbets, you know, the, and others, you know, the easier ones. If you think of the cisticulars, you know, Levalon cisticular, you know, any wetland or, or moist drainage line with rank grass, you should, you should have a, at least a pair of, Levalence sticklers and just get to know that the tone and the, you know, the nuances of, of their vocalizations. And then, you know, when you're out in a grassland, you might be able to pick up, or in the bushveld, you might then be able to pick up rattling cisticular or, you know, zitting cisticular or cloud cisticular or something like that. So starting local is, I think, a very good way to do it. You need to get out there often. And concentrate, you know, spend spend time listening and looking and 
trying to, you know, we're not even talking about recording birds here. It's just familiarizing yourself with a place and the birds that occur there and the sounds that they make. I think that's the best, you know, the best bit of advice that one can give to, you know, how best to improve, you know, learning sounds is just by repetition and starting small. You know, if you think that you, you're now going to, you know, sit down and learn by listening to them, you're going to learn all the cysticulars that occur in South Africa. Um, that's, that's quite a tall task. But if you just start with your local patch and uh, you get to know the Nedeke's calling or whatever it is that, that occurs locally, build confidence in your local birds of your local patch. And then you'll be surprised at how you'll, you'll pick up on, on the little things. And when you go elsewhere, you, ah, that's a cysticular or that's a thrush, that's a chat. And then you narrow it down. You know, you, the process of elimination by looking at what information is available, look at habitat, look at distribution. Now, all of that information is there in our, in our field guides and use a combination of information, elimination, to you know to 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 come down to a handful of species and then hopefully you can whittle it down to one or two species and and learn in that way um but also spending time with with other people and picking up on on little things that people other more experienced birders out in the field pick up on you know and you can you can pick up on and and learn little shortcuts or, or things that you didn't think about before, weren't aware of. And that also helps. So spending time with, with other people, and that helps tremendously as well. Oh, Rick, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating to talk to you, and I'm sure that all the listeners would agree that we've learned so much today. And I'm looking forward to hearing some stories of, leader, of listeners who have gone out and given this a try. And, yeah, if you'd like to share, um, drop them in a Google Drive. If you want to share some of the recordings you've done, I'm sure – I'm sure Rick would also love to hear them. So just yeah, drop us drop us um, a message and let us know. Let us hear what you've recorded. And but Rick, I appreciate you being on the show. It's been really fantastic. And I'm sure we'll do another episode soon about something else. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks, Adam. If I could just add a couple of things, couple of things. Um, I'd be more than happy to um, you know to listen to sounds that people have recorded on their phones or whatever. People want identifications done. I'll do my best to help. There's also the Southern African the Bird Calls of Southern Africa Facebook page uh, that was started by Lynette Radman in, in Grahamstown. But there's been a steady increase in, in, in followers. And yeah, we, you know, people who belong to that page, you know, they, they post videos with sound, they post sound recordings, little videos that are, that are made. There's some really good educational stuff. And uh, I must say, I've, I've learned a heck of a lot just being part of this, uh, you know, this community on Facebook. And, um, yeah, every now and then uh, some of us, you know, will post a quiz, you know, a recording a soundscape perhaps done from a from a particular area. And, you know, it's up to anybody who wants to, to listen to the recordings to try and identify the different species. And then uh, later on there's a, a list that is given. So there are some wonderful you know, groups on social media that, uh, you know, people who are interested in sound can, can join and learn that way as well. But please feel free, anybody feel free to, you know, pop me recordings and uh, I'll, I'll, you know, do my best to, to assist with identifying those. It's been, it's been fantastic, Adam, and yeah, it'll be great to, you know, chat more 
uh, in depth perhaps about sound and certain aspects of sound on another occasion. Thank you. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books online store to help get all the best birding and nature books into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link either in the comment section of this podcast or our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Don't forget to follow The Birding Life on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Bird Lesser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a lifeless while playing your part in social conservation, as well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.